Hi, everyone, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Andrea Pearson, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Lindsay Baroker. And I'm Joe Lalo. And I almost went off script there, and I was like, wait, what am I doing? <laughs> um, for today's show, we're going to talk about several things that are important for long-term success, um, because as indie authors, having a marathon mindset is vital if we plan to be successful at this in five years, 10 years, and not just now. So um, like sprints, you know, like one-off books that are really, really, really huge, big bestsellers. Those are really fun. And they're like candy. They're great. Um, give you a little high, but they cannot sustain a career. Um, and we, our goal is to develop a large backlist of books that are, that readers want to read over and over again, and that they want to share with their family and their friends, and they want to spread the word about. And so we're going to be talking about some habits, system schedules, uh, how to adapt in the market and everything, um, how to adapt your business and then some good business decisions on when it comes to long-term success. So we're actually going to dig right into it. We're not going to do any, um, news this week, just because it's only been like a week since we last did news. Wait, right? Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. So it's been a week since we last did them. So we're going to go ahead and start talking about habits and system systems, not when it comes to writing itself, but just, um, habits and systems that lead to long-term success. And Lindsay is up first. Long-term success at being an entrepreneur, a business person, I don't know, soccer player. I feel like we should have some banter or news or something before we just go right into it. Um, but we should say too, that We've all been doing this for about 10 years. So there are more authors definitely you can find that have had careers for 30, 40 years. So, but hey, we're, we're getting up there. So I guess we can talk about it. Um, so habits and systems that lead to long-term success. So I think the first thing for myself that I would say, cause I very much found this to be true is that like, for me, I really have to work on kind of the mental and physical health because it's all tied together. Like it's a lot easier to be productive when your brain and body are functioning, functioning on all cylinders. And for me, I've, I've had, I was such a, uh, sugar addicted kid and had the worst diet you can possibly imagine up until I started having health problems in my twenties. And then I started to like, go figure you should probably eat some vegetables and, um, not live on soda and candy. I don't know. It's, it's weird, but, um, I've always been into exercise. So that's not a hard one for me. The eating was much more difficult to dial in and, you know, you, you do what you need to do. This is just like, I have found that for writing, for just being productive, I do so much better when I'm just all there clicking on all cylinders mentally and physically. So we, we I think Joanna Penn has a, a show and a book like the healthy writer. So you could check that out if you want more on that. But, um, as far as for, for me, I am really driven by routine that, that really works for me. I know some writers want to wait for the muse. I find that that's not so much of an option when this becomes your day job and you're relying on your income every month. Uh, for me, I just, it's very simple. I kind of get up, have coffee in the morning, sort of slowly work into the day, either reading or uh, dinking around online. Let's be honest, you know, shower, walk the dogs, have breakfast, try to get to work by nine. And then I tend to take breaks every maybe 2000 words or 1500 words. Like I, I'm able to do more earlier in the day. My breaks usually get longer and the words in between, you know, the word counts shorter in between them as the day goes on. But so basically an hour of work and then try to take 20 minute break or so. And then I walk around, walk the dogs around extra, do dishes, whatever it needs to be to actually get my butt out of the seat. Uh, and then I, finish the day by doing some exercise. Uh, now in COVID times, I had to put together a home gym. So that's actually super convenient because I don't have to drive anywhere. And it's pretty easy to just do a 30 minute uh, jump on the elliptical or something. 
So I try to be done with work by four or five, but that's a try. Some days, some of those good days that I was talking about where you're firing on all cylinders that actually works. I'm super proud of myself if I actually hit my goals by then. A lot of times it's uh, after dinner, I'll come back to things, but that's always my goal is actually to have sort of that nine to five schedule with breaks in between. Sometimes it happens, but um, yeah, sometimes when you're pushing a little bit, I think it's okay to work extra just as long as you also put time in there so that you're not burning yourself out. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Um, particularly the uh, man when you can hit your 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 goals like on bankers hours, it always feels so good. I I only pull it off, but maybe twice a week, and that's like uh, when I'm when I'm being a good boy. But uh, so to some of the habits and stuff that I uh, I think are important: uh, planning and scheduling things, and just generally knowing when things are happening. Because uh, like if your goal is to write a book in any amount of time. Uh, it's useful to be very realistic about what's going to be happening in that uh, uh, length of time. I forget who was doing the uh, the panel, but there was a panel I went to at one of the conventions. Where they talked about, like, let's say you're going to try to write a book in the month of October. Uh, well, that means you have 31 days, except you don't have 31 days, because if you've got a family, you've also got uh, Halloween in there, and that's going to take a day. And also, what if you get sick or this all the So, oh, and there's also that uh, that you had to go visit so and so that weekend, and suddenly your 31 days becomes 20 days. So, being like just planning what needs to be done, finding places in the calendar to do it, and being mindful of the parts of your schedule that you can't change, uh, super duper necessary, uh, or else you'll find yourself running out of time and missing deadlines constantly. Um, and that includes you know, scheduling things that you need to do. I had to go get to go to uh, a dentist appointment, you know, and then like doctor's appointments and things. It's all in there. And if, again, we talk about routine, um, the dentist appointment is, a, is an interruption in my routine and it really threw my whole day off. So I sort of had to be aware that it wasn't going to be a normal day when that happened. Uh, it seems silly, but it's true. If I don't get started by a certain point in the day, it's a bad day. Uh, I guess because you know more more words early in the morning for me as well, and the the planning goes for short term and long term. I mean, as short term as know what you're going to have to do today, and as long term as what's the whole year going to look like. Uh, I'm not saying you need to go completely nuts and have every single day of your year planned out, but having a general understanding of the needs and uh, of the year and the the time that you're going to dedicate to get things done is going to set yourself up so that you're not at least it's, it may not set you up to succeed, but it will remove a lot of the things that might surprise you and cause you to fail. You don't want to be surprised by your own schedule. It's ideally one of the things that's largely in your control. So definitely, I think that one of the habits you need to have is is having an awareness and a planning for the future. Okay. So, um, for me, I would say making it a habit to resolve anything that will distract you while you're writing. Um, I'm not talking about like idle distractions, but the stuff that actually needs to happen for you have a, for you to have a good day. And this is going to be different for everybody. And, and for some people, this won't even apply, but for me as a mom of young kids, um, there's just things that have to happen in order for me to actually be able to function. And that includes like making sure the kids are taken care of and dinners in the crock pot. Um, I don't need to use the bathroom, things like that. Right. So that's just something that I found that if I have a habit of doing that, it makes 
the day go much better. Like they were saying, uh, makes it so that I'm able to focus better. Um, and, but on the flip side of that, waiting to write until all important things are done can mean that you never write. And so you got to know yourself well enough to know if you're procrastinating the work or what, if whatever you're doing really does need to be done at that exact moment. And then I would also definitely agree with Lindsay on the working on mental and physical health. That's a huge thing for me thing for me. And I think I talk about that later. Um, we're going to go ahead and move into schedules that lead to long-term success. So, you know, um, whatever we each have to say on that one. <laughs> okay. Go ahead, Lindsay. All right. Well, kind of talked about daily schedules already, but consistency has really been my thing over the years. It's really helped the income be pretty steady from month to month. Yes, I, I get boosts with new releases, but I, it's been a long time since I've fallen below X amount. And I think that's just kind of consistently putting more books out over time, building up the backlist. I have never done anything nuts like write a 50,000 word novel in 24 hours. Someone does this every single NaNoWriMo. <laughs> they record it so you can watch them. And I've never killed myself trying to write huge amounts in a day. Some days are challenging and I think that's fine to have goals, but you know, I, I hear how much some people write. I'm like, wow, that's, that's amazing. I don't feel like I need to do that because I'm just going to kind of plot on consistently and continue. And it's, it's that kind of amazing how quickly you actually will build up your backlist. I know if you're newer, you're thinking, wow, I got to really kick kick some butt because I don't have any books or I only have one book out. And obviously I need to have all these books out if I'm going to make a career of this. And I felt exactly that way when I published my first book in uh, December of 2010, I had two novels and they weren't related. <laughs> they were not like one and two in a series. They were two standalones. So that's where I was starting from. And I remember being super envious of the people who had been trying to get published for a long time, or they had been published and they had a backlist that the rights had come back to him. So they were like launching with eight or 10 books and making money right away. And I felt like, man, I am way behind here. This sucks. But, you know, 10 years later, and I know that sounds like forever, but uh, I've got, I don't know, I haven't counted in a while, but 80, 90 novels like that, something like that. So it's, and you get faster with time also naturally, or at least I found that to be true. Uh, as far as scheduling, I, I'm actually pretty short term. I know a lot of authors that wants to become full-time authors, they get super serious about scheduling their releases and they may even do pre-orders. You can see that they've got their stuff planned out for the whole year. And if you can do that, and if that helps you, because I think that really helps them, you know, keep, stick to their schedule, have their goals and know what they have to do for the whole year. Uh, so if you can do that, and if you like to do that as appealing, that's great. I'm more short-term because I, I tend to... I mean, I always know like my next date with my editor, so I have to have something for her. And usually I try to stick with a series uh, that doesn't always happen. I have this tendency to, after I've been working on something for a while, the muse wants to go whoop, over here to the side, especially when I'm working on something more challenging. I just, I feel that I need to sneak in some unplanned book. This is actually happening right now. I've already <laughs> with my epic fantasy. I wrote the first one. I was like, oh man, <laughs> I got to write something short and simple in between these. These are, these are just, I don't know, a bit of a bit of, I mean, 150,000 words. I know for some people it's not that much, but uh, it was a, it takes a while to get through that, even for me as a pretty fast writer. But so I have to allow myself the leeway to, you know, jump, <laughs> jump from the ship. So I basically say, I'm going to do a series a year, which is kind of about what it ends up being. Sometimes they go over depending on how long they are, but that that's kind of, and then I say, allow myself freedom to sneak in other things. So I don't do really long pre-orders. I, in fact, the only time I do them is if the fans are kind of nagging, <laughs> nagging in a good way. Like, when is this coming? When is this coming? And so I don't have to keep answering that email. I'm just like, all right, it's August. 
book seven in, in that series. But I, you won't see me ever do multiple books in a series on pre-order at the same time, generally, unless I'm doing something with a rapid release launch. That's just me. Um, like I said, it's, it's really more you. I find that if I'm too rigid with myself, my muse starts rebelling <laughs> and then I'm like fighting myself. So I, I do make myself finish each novel before moving on and jumping to something else. I've learned that I have to do that or I will never go back to the thing I abandoned. All right, I'll pass it on to Joe. Uh, I could definitely get second the consistency thing. Uh, I think that not just having consistent releases, but just having consistent days. Like uh, uh, for me, having quota and sticking to it always produces my best output. So my schedule just within a day is super important to me. Uh, just having a decent quota gives me better quantity and quality of words for some reason. I, I, I guess just it keeps you in the mindset. And so the flow, you're always in search of flow. Uh, I also try to be reasonable with my quota. Like I know that I can write 7,000 words a day. I have written 7,000 words a day. Uh, but if I made that my quota, I would be looking at 18 hour writing days sometimes. I'm sometimes looking at that anyway, if I'm having a bad day. So if I made, if, if I made it so that I had to hit 7k in order to hit my, my deadlines, I would use myself up pretty quickly. Uh, so I'd stick with a more achievable quota. I usually target 3000. If I'm really pushing, I do 5000. Well, actually it's, it's 3000. And then until I hit the end of the scene. So it's always 3000 and change. Uh, it gives me some slack in my day usually, so I can get other things done, which is another important thing because this is a, a career. Uh, so there's a lot of parts that aren't writing. And if I was to make my quota big enough to, to, to fill my day, then all of those little things like bookkeeping and promo prep just wouldn't happen because I'd be too busy trying to write words. So I try, that's why, again, consistency. I know I can consistently do 3,000 words. So that's what I schedule myself for. And I set my deadlines based on that. I set my release schedule based on that. And if I do better, great. If I do worse, then I have to work harder to catch up. Um, so yeah. And, and, uh, I also feel like scheduling when you're going to do your administration stuff. I usually write seven days a week. It's that was the way I used to do things, but lately I've been experimenting with uh, with uh, only doing the the quota on weekdays, so that I could use the weekends for. Uh, I have the Patreons. So sometimes I use the weekends to write my Patreon stories. Sometimes I make an entire weekend an admin weekend, but I try to you know give myself a little bit more structure by by scheduling days off and and having using those days for, for the overflow stuff. But, uh, and I find if I don't schedule that sort of time, then eventually I might get it. Like I might do my 7,000 words a day and I will get or 10,000 words a day and get a book done in record time. And then I will discover that I have failed to schedule an edit or a cover for it. And I'm not going to be hitting my release date anyway. And I may as well have just taken it a little bit slower and had all that stuff planned out. So schedules, not only in, you know, to make sure that your releases are consistent, but that everything about the release is taken care of. Okay. And um, for me, the thing that has led to the best long-term success has been setting weekly. And like Lindsay said, we've been doing this 10 years. This is such great long-term success, right? Um, but I mean, long that honestly is long-term. I, I know a lot of authors who started out 10 years ago and gave up after a couple of years, they burned themselves out or something really awesome happened. And then they weren't able to replicate that ever. And so we're trying to help you guys, um, not, not give up or just, you know, be able to plow through down years so that you can turn this into a business that is long-term success, long-term, long-termly successful. 
Um, anyway, so the thing that has led to the best long-term success for me has been setting weekly or monthly goals and evaluating, evaluating my progress based on those rather than daily goals. Um, and that's just because of the current life situation I'm in, but this time around with the new series I'm writing, I was consistently dictating in two 15 minute, two 15 minute sessions a day. And this resulted in about three to 4,000 words and was something I could do regularly and not feel like my whole life was consumed by one book because I kind of, I don't know, it's just my personality. I tend to binge my projects and that leads to a very, very big life work dis imbalance, whatever. Anyway, seeing those results, like three to 4,000 words in, in only half an hour, I'm like, that's so fantastic. Got me really excited. I'm like, what if I shoot for three dictating sessions in one day? Yeah, that would be so awesome. So I tried it and I actually damaged my voice and I haven't been able to dictate in two weeks. Like right now talking hurts. And so it's probably going to take another week or two for my voice to heal. Um, and I have, I've already, I damaged my voice pretty badly in college. When I read my first book out loud to my dad, while we were driving from one state to another, and he had new tires that were very loud and I had to talk very, very loudly. And I just, it damaged my voice and I haven't ever fully recovered from that. It's going to, I don't think I ever will, but so I have to be really, really careful when I'm dictating not to overdo it. And I've done that before. And obviously I just did it again. And so I'm just, so I'm just having to remind myself that it's better to be the, the tortoise instead of the hare to not push myself too hard and to schedule in my dictating sessions. Just know this is what I have to take care of. And this is where, um, this is how much I can do in a day. Um, and even when typing, pushing yourself too hard can lead to a lot of damage. It might not be immediate damage, like with my voice, but I honestly, I, it's like, if you, start having wrist, shoulder, elbow, neck, and back issue pain. I mean, that takes so long to recover, so long to heal from. Uh, it takes months and you're going to wish that you would pace yourself better. So like Lindsay's saying, you know, the, when, we're not one of those people that do the 50,000 words in one day. And those people, I, I think they're amazing. That's really awesome. If they keep doing that, that's going to cause a lot of problems long-term for them. So schedules that lead to long-term success are going to be ones that take into account your current physical state and the physical state you want to be in next year or in five years or 10 years. So don't put off eating healthy or exercising or losing weight or gaining muscle or whatever it is, whatever your goals are in favor of getting words out. So schedule those things in now. And I promise you, you'll have better long-term success if you take care of yourself now and don't kill yourself doing, you know, doing all this author stuff. And, um, Anyway, okay, so we're going to go on to writing habits. And Lizzie, you are up next and you are back from your dog vacation. <laughs> the front door is open because the dogs wanted to go out. It's 19 out. Uh, hopefully they'll come back in. Um, but I have learned that when the old one needs to go out, she needs to go out now. So <laughs> sorry, podcasters. Um, I, I did want to say that with the health stuff, it's kind of amazing how much you can wreck your body typing. <laughs> like it's, if you've done sports, you're used to repetitive stress injuries, but you can absolutely get that from typing too. So definitely worth paying attention to that. All right. Habits we are moving on to. A, a lot of this is really just figuring out what works with the, for you and then we'll come over time. Um, you know, I'll tell you what I do, but we're all different. And part of learning how to be successful long term is just kind of trying a bunch of different things, figuring out what works best for you and then doing that thing over and over again. Like I said earlier, I usually write like 2000 words or 1500 words and then take breaks. 
anything to get up and walk around to get the blood flowing. I do like to work on a project from start to finish. I've talked to this talked about this before or as close as I can get to that. It doesn't always work out that way, but I love like just writing a rough draft, writing almost every day until I finish it. And then I take time off between projects or like between the rough draft and before I start editing or again, after I finish the edit, I'll take time off there. And the only thing that will probably change for me in the future, because I've talked about how I really like writing getting a rough down, rough down as quickly as I can because that then it's kind of in that flow state and the story just comes out more easily and, and I can remember everything to my horrible memory if I if I write the draft in a few weeks but um as I I don't know that I'm going to retire necessarily but I keep saying this every year like guys I'm going to slow down it hasn't happened yet but it's going to happen someday I'll just probably still write the books in the same amount of time and just start taking longer breaks in between projects um, we've talked about before. I, I think a lot of us started as pantsers. I became an outliner just because it became more efficient for me. I stopped having to like cut chapters, cut scenes, rewrite things because I already, already kind of figured out the main stuff ahead of time. And also just thinking about the, like maybe the two or three scenes I'm going to try to write tomorrow. I need to, especially if I'm trying to get something done really quickly. I need to kind of figure out those scenes in my mind ahead of time the night before. I'll usually put some notes in my phone. I don't use anything high speed. It's just the notes app. And I don't always do this, but I almost always regret it when I didn't do an outline and when I don't take the time to kind of figure out the beats or whatever you want to call them ahead of time. So those are just kind of writing habits that help me quite a bit. Uh, I talk about it a lot, but, uh, do your best to ensure that everything you need to do, and uh, Andrew was talking about this earlier, everything you need to do uh, is taken care of before the writing session. So take, make sure that you've done the necessary research. You've got your outline, your notes handy. You've got your beverage. The goal is to be writing during the entire writing session. Uh, if you come upon an unexpected bit of necessary research or something, take a note of it. Uh, fill it, you know, so that you'll need to fill it in later and try to move past it. Sometimes you can't, and that's fine. Uh, sometimes what I'll do is I find I can't move past a certain thing that I realize I didn't research yet. Uh, I will jump to an entire another chapter, which you can do if you've outlined it. I don't recommend it because it, it interrupts the flow if you don't go back through and, and, and fix it later. But again, the goal is to be writing for the entirety of your, uh, of your session. I know a lot of people who like to edit yesterday's writing before beginning today's writing because it sets a mental context and such. I personally find that things go a lot more quickly for me if I, uh, if I try to avoid editing, uh, during the project and instead wait and get all that done at the end. Spending too much time going over your old writing before you're even done writing the entire story can lead to a lot of wasted time because sometimes that scene that you're, that you spent an extra two hours, uh, redoing in three chunks over the course of your writing process ends up getting cut or sometimes it needs to end up getting reworked because of something you did at the end needs to be gone through. So I, I with, if I can't fix it by right clicking and, and choosing from a misspelled word list, uh, I usually leave it until the, you know, the revision stage. This last one's a little bit more, a little bit less concrete than the others, but try to remember to stay flexible when you're writing. Uh, if a scene is really difficult for you to complete, consider the possibility that, that scene just doesn't fit there or the story might have a better direction. 
It's a balancing act because if you don't want to derail the entire writing process halfway through a novel, but at the same time, there can be a net time savings and a story improvement if the scene that's been giving you so much trouble can be swapped out for something that feels more natural and flows better now that you're actually in the story. Just make sure it fits the overall plot and go back and update your notes to reflect the change. Otherwise, you might do what I've done in the past, which is make a sweeping change to a story and then come back to that series uh, you know, months or years later and read the outline instead of reading the story and write the sequel to a book that you didn't write, which fortunately was able to, I was able to fix, but keep your notes uh, up to date uh, so that that doesn't happen to you. And um, I just wanted to comment really quickly on what Lindsay does. That's that my most productive days have been ones or years were ones when I actually did things like that. So but back for me, that was not back. That was before I started writing. It was like, I would schedule tasks around homework and college classes, you know? So I'd be like, I have to study this much anatomy. I have to study like four hours of anatomy. So I would set a timer for 45 minutes to do the studying. And then I would do a 20 minute to 30 minute timer to get everything, other things done. But so nowadays, I mean, I constantly feel like I'm like, I'm drowning. I'm trying to get everything done. Um, but like I said before, I do know if I don't get all my tasks taken care of before my toddler's nap, then the rest of the day is totally shot. So having an afternoon to work around gives me the right structure to get book work done, which I appreciate. Um, but now that we have a nanny, she takes the kids in the morning and I get in book work then too. Um, it's kind of hard for me though, because in the morning, my brain, like I'm, I want to be active. I want to be physically moving around doing stuff. So like getting up and being with the kids and helping get them breakfast ready and things like that. But our, our nanny, the only time her schedule worked for us was because I wanted her to be able to do her other stuff too, school and all that was for her to take the kids in the morning. And so I'm still trying to get a good routine going where I get up and I go and I do my book work right away. Um, but I have found to help me get going. I've, um, movement helps me be productive. So like wiggling my leg when I'm sitting, walking on the treadmill, chewing gum, playing with hand toys while dictating, etc. Um, Anyway, so another thing, um, doing the exact same thing every time you start a writing session will help prep your brain for the work. So if you have this, this routine you go through every single time you write and you do it the exact same way, the same order, it helps your brain. It triggers your brain to get into creative mode. So like you go to the bathroom, you get a drink of water, you do a bunch of jumping jacks, you visualize where you want the next scene to go. You mentally review what you wrote previously or actually reading it. Um, like Joe said, be careful not to switch into editor mode. I used to do that as well. I used to, I would edit what I wrote the previous day, but I found that that pulls too much of the editing brain into the next section. Anyway, so I'm faster now that I don't do that anymore. Um, and then you do that all in the same order, all before you start writing. And that helps to trigger the creative side. And then also, um, self-discipline, honestly, uh, being successful is, I, I think you would ask, you could ask a lot of the most successful people in the world. And they would say that self-discipline is the biggest key to their success. Um, without self-discipline being a successful long-term won't happen. And so the next subject, the next topic we're going to talk about is um, developing the necessary self-discipline. Let me just say how much I enjoy going first for all of these. <laughs> these are not usually things I really talk about because I never feel like I'm much of an expert or very good coach or anything like that for this kind of thing. Um, for me, it's just really always been about having goals and, and things that I really want that keep me motivated, you know, for my writing career. And before that, I was trying to figure out how to make a living working from home when I had some health issues that were going to make it really hard to work a normal job. 
I was just very driven. I mean, I guess for good or ill, I'm pretty motivated by money. I'm not married and I'm an only child. And we were told when I was pretty young that uh, social security might not exist by the time I retired. and Or if it did, inflation would mean that it didn't pay for much. So I've just always kind of known there would be come, come a day that I had only myself to rely on. Um, my parents are great. They're very supportive, still alive, but uh, you know they won't be here forever. And so that's been a really big motivator for me. Maybe that's one of the good things about the American system is we don't have a whole lot of, I mean, we certainly have some help that if you fall off the rails, you can get help. But I just never wanted to be that person. I always wanted to figure out how to make it work on my own. So I've just really been motivated by wanting to have not only being, you know, reaching financial independence one day, but making sure I didn't have to rely on anyone else. And if you have someone, that's awesome. Um, but like I said, sometimes it is not having something that makes you, that drives you. It's always kind of interesting listening to interviews with like these really successful entrepreneurs. Like it's crazy. You wonder what the heck could possibly drive them to work like 16 hours a day, every day, sleep on the factory floor. That's Elon Musk. I think that's his story. But Jeff Bezos, I was shocked when they said he was actually going to not retire, but uh, step down as Amazon CEO because he seems so driven to just like take over the world. Although I think he's just moving over to like take over space with his blue origin. So it's like, you wonder what, I'm not obviously not quite that driven, but you know, I think that it helps if there's something that's just some goal that really, that's kind of where self-discipline comes from. I think, you know, athletes are the same way. You kind of wonder like what makes these people be willing to just devote their whole life for like 20 years to becoming an amazing basketball player and, you know, going pro. And probably if you ask them a lot of me, like, Hey, I want money. I want to be financially independent. So I think that's at a lot at the root of a lot of things for a lot of people, obviously not everyone because they get to that point and they're still driven, but, um, and I'm not saying you have to be in it for the money, certainly not. But I think if you want to like have a reason to write 50 novels, if, if that's your goal, something has to be, you know, something has to be driving you. So that's something you kind of have to figure out. Is it, is it super important to you to kind of devote this huge chunk of your life to it? Um, I, I will say that as far as being disciplined to keep writing and, and things like that, after a while, everything just, it does become a habit. And, you know, this is kind of the same thing with exercise. You know, if you're a runner, you know how it is. You just, you start to feel bad. If you're so used to doing it every day or doing something however many days a week, you start to feel like actually physically bad. Like you just like, Oh, I feel like a slug. I've just been sitting here doing things. Whereas people who are not runners, you're just like, I feel fine. I don't, I have no urge to run. No, I don't know what's wrong with you. Why would you feel bad not running? So, but, um, after you do it and it becomes a habit, it's just, you get this feeling of guilt if you don't do it. So I think if you can, whether, you know, you're trying to write a, a novel or a novel every month or, you know, four novels a year or something, if you can do it in such a way that you can develop a habit, I'm not saying you have to write every day necessarily. It's, I pretty much write or edit almost every day, but that's just me. But yeah, it, you start to feel guilty when you break that habit. So it's a good habit to cultivate. Um, last thought here is that it helps to give yourself goals that you can kind of complete in a reasonable amount of time. If your goal, if you're making like a hundred dollars a month from your books right now and your goal is to quit your day job, that's kind of a big jump. I mean, you, you usually find in this business that you kind of will have big jumps up in income hopefully, <laughs> um, you know, they can be steady for a long time and then you'll have a release that 
does better than other ones and you'll have a bigger jump. But just give yourself the goal to go to $200 a month if you're at $100 a month. Or if you're not making anything now, you know, have the goal to make $50 from your next release. So because the little things like that, they do compound over time. As you get more books out, you hopefully get more fans and they help each subsequent book launch become a little easier. You have to do less to sell and you sell more books. Also, if you're struggling to finish the project you're working on, I feel like a lot of us epic fantasy kind of people do this. You're writing your magnum opus. You know, it's going to be like 10 million words when you're done with it. And it's just become a slog. There's so many POVs. There's so many storylines going on at once. It's okay to set that aside for a while, especially if it's your first book. Maybe set it aside. Try something, just plot something real short and simple, like one POV story, something like that. And then once you kind of get in that habit of finishing books, so I was just talking about habits, it, you know, it becomes it becomes a habit. <laughs> I guess you're not supposed to use define the word <laughs> by using, I don't know, the word cannot be in the definition of the word. I don't know. But um, yeah, the more you start finishing things, the more it becomes a habit. So if you're really struggling with your current project, try giving yourself some easier projects to get in the habit of finishing things. And then maybe you will come back to the magnum opus later. I, I know personally that uh, discipline is, is my primary problem. Uh, I, uh, I mentioned earlier that my best writing days are when I get started early. So, uh, part of discipline is, is getting my butt in the chair. If I, you know, shower breakfast writing, if I, if I let my writing day start past say 10 AM, I'm going to be writing until midnight to hit my quota. So I, the schedule that I mentioned earlier and, and, and all of those habits, I have to really keep them codified and like listed for myself. And that's one of the ways I can stay disciplined is just sort of knowing the tasks at hand. It, it's easy to procrastinate something when it's nebulous, but when it's written down and you know exactly what it is, it's a little bit harder to justify setting it aside. Although I often find that I'm capable of doing so. Uh, so I like to make lists and uh, I make a list of what needs to be done. I figure out the priority of the things that need to be done. And I make sure to cross off at least a few of those things a day. Ideally, I cross off everything that's on my daily list in a day, but that doesn't always happen. Hence why priority is important. But even if I'm going to have an incredibly busy day, even if I, you know, talk about the schedule and I ended up, oh, I'm helping somebody move today. I still try to cross at least one thing off the list of stuff that I would normally have gotten done that day. Uh, and also what I'll do, Lindsay's talking about achievable goals. I, I take that straight down to the daily level. I used to have, you know, my quote is 3,000 words, and I would write uh, write 3,000 words as one of my list items. And I've now started doing write 1,000 words as three list items. And uh, number one, it gives you a feeling, it gives me a feeling of progress. Number two, it sort of reinforces that you're breaking that up into separate things and, and you know, you take your, your, your break in between so that you don't grind your body down or develop any back problems, which I have done both of those things in the past. So yeah, like having a list and breaking the list down granularly enough that the, that progress is regular as long as you're working. I also find it helpful to have a timer for a writing session visible in terms of being dedicated and sticking to a writing session, having both my word count and a timer up. Like I, I will split my screen so that my writing is on one side, the other side is a timer and my little, uh, my little project window for, for, uh, Scrivener. And it is so much easier for me to be like, Ugh, 
I want to get up and take a break. And then I look and, oh, I only have five minutes left. I could, I could, I could do this for another five minutes or, you know, uh, I, I, I want to quit for the day and look, oh, I'm 2005, you know, I, I'm, 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 uh, 250 words away. That's like three sentences. I can do that easy. So just sort of having the, awareness of where the finish line is or where the milestones are, uh, really helps me to stay dedicated because it, again, it breaks up a very large thing into a very small thing. It goes from finish all of my writing for the day to just stay in the seat for another five minutes. So I think that helps for me. Um, I, this is a, this is a hard one for me because I have a ton of self-discipline on good days. Um, on bad days though, like I don't give a crap. (laughs) I just, I just don't care. Um, and bad days come a lot more frequently since our toddler was born. Um, he's been very challenging. Um, my goal every day is to create the best day I possibly can. I think that's kind of like everybody's goal, but there's certain things that I've learned that, that if I don't do them, at the right time and in the right order, my days just fall apart. Um, and at the beginning of the year, when we had our, you know, how did this last year go? What are our goals for the next year? Um, our, that episode, I outlined my plans for 2021 where staying motivated and consistent were concerned. Um, they involve getting to bed at a decent hour, exercising and watching what I eat, waking up before the kids get up and teaching my daughter to take over for an hour in the morning. Um, I've gotten much, much better getting to bed on time, which means I'm getting better sleep and I'm more ready the next day. Um, I've been really good about exercising and watching what I eat and my brain and body are there. It's just like things just go so much better when I am getting the movement I need. And the, the when my body gets nutrition, <laughs> like Lizzie was saying, soda pop and candy doesn't work. Right. So, but I'm, I'm just doing so much better now. Like my brain is alert and active, even when I haven't had enough sleep because of how well I've been eating and moving lately. So that's helping a lot. Um, I'm also waking up before the kids get up. And now that we have a nanny, I don't have to have my daughter take over in the morning. So a lot of the necessary components are in place for these good days. It's just, it's still, it's still very difficult because, um, I mean, it's really hard to predict when my toddler is going to be waking up and screaming all night long. Um, but once I have a good day set up, I still need to exercise discipline. It's still, there's still that daily, you know, that like, do I really want to be doing this? And yes, I do. I love writing, but sometimes it's just hard to do it. Right. Um, but I found that minimizing everything in my life, like my email lists, avoiding social media, all of that stuff has really, really been helping me. Plus I've also been using an app lately that, that makes it blocks all the unnecessary applications on my phone, making it easier to focus. Unnecessary applications include real estate apps. I've got tons of them. And, um, like, local classifieds, things like that. I just, I'm always looking, (laughs) always looking. I'm like, Hmm, where's my next hermit crab uh, tank going to come from? (laughs) Stuff like that. So I found that blocking those things. So I can't even open them when the temptation comes. It's been helping me be, be much, much more, um, focused and much more productive. And the name of the app is called digital detox. Um, it's meant for people who need a break from texting and calling people. I actually have everything on my phone available except the real estate apps, the house plan apps, um, a couple of games and, um, things like that. Facebook, you know, so I don't get on Facebook a lot, but I blocked it anyway. (laughs) Anyway, so digital detox, that's a really, really helpful app. Okay. So the next thing we're going to be talking about is adapting. So not just adapting to the market, but just adapting in general and Lindsay, take it off. I will first say that my most likely program that I am going to be screwing around on is Zillow. (laughs) 
I could care less about Facebook, but I'm like, Hey, dude, yes. new house, new house on the market in Bend. I got to see what it is. I'm not in the market for a house. You guys, but you don't know how many alerts I have. This is, this is, so what, me. <laughs> this is what happens when like, like if I hadn't been a writer, I think I would have been a real estate developer. Eventually that was kind of, I even went through the the class to uh, get certified as an agent and I was going to like move up from there and stuff. But you have to be such a people person to get into that industry. So anyway, that was a tangent. Zillow, so evil. Um, adapting, you say. Adapting is not, do not turn off the Wi-Fi in your computer, but then leave your phone by the table so that you can pick up the Zillow app anyway, even though. Um, so anyway, as we talked about, or I've talked about in other episodes, I don't write to market, but I do try to pay attention to which series have grossed more overall and which ones have been easier to turn a profit on with the advertising, like which ones convert better with the book one and which ones cost less to, to advertise that book one. And also which ones are like have really become fan favorites over the years. And then also which ones have kind of underperformed compared to the other ones. And I'm always kind of maybe to a fault, self-analyzing my stuff and myself. Although I think that it helps to be able to do that to some degree, because I feel like uh, a lot of times when authors are like, I'm not, I don't understand why I'm not selling. I've been working at this for five years. I published X many books and you go look at their Amazon page and it's like covers, man, (laughs) covers. You need to stick to a genre. You need these blurbs. So to be able to be somewhat self-critical in in a positive way without getting too buried down in like, it's it's also easy to take it too far, right? To like just be too over analytical and think you suck, and then you get uh, too disturbed and you can't do it anymore. But I think it's good to really kind of go into your numbers and figure out, you know, what did well, what didn't, and that's sort of allowed me to now. Generally speaking, these days, if I have two ideas, I'm sort of equally interested in. I'll try to pick the one with the bigger potential audience. You know, as an example uh, of kind of going through my back stuff like this, I, I've realized that in general, my readers tend to be kind of in their 30s and up. Um, and I've learned that my attempts at YA haven't gone over that well with them or, and haven't necessarily picked up new readers either. So maybe these are the people just hanging out on Amazon in the categories I write in. But so I still do younger characters occasionally, but um, these days I won't do too many teens, like 18 year olds uh, or younger, even unless it's part of an ensemble cast and they're sort of all age characters, somebody for everyone. Uh, another example is that I learned that steampunk, while being pretty easy to rank in, it's a very niche genre that not a ton of people are reading books in it. So the steampunk-ish series that I could Ill- legitimately also fire, file under like epic fantasy and swords and sorcery, you know, I found that those had a much, they appealed to a wider range of readers. So I leaned on that and kind of, I didn't do an, you know, I did a series of novellas that were strict, earth-based, genuinely meant to be steampunk that, um, you know, they have a few fans, but hardly anybody is emailing me and asking me for more of those. So I think a lot of the adapting is just not doing, we talked about this just a couple of weeks ago, right? In the episode about why, what should you do if your books are not profiting, if you're not profiting from your books yet, it's realizing that if you're doing something and it's really not working, it's just, it's not, you're not in the black. It's not making much money. It, maybe it's time to try something else. And I'm not saying you have to write to market, just try something else that you were also interested in and that could be fun and exciting for you. Uh, a lot of adapting is experimenting, which is a lot of what Lindsay was talking about. Well, it, Lindsay, when Lindsay was sort of talking about how uh, everything's an experiment and then you assess the results. But 
like experimenting is important. You need to try something new in order to know whether it's worth moving forward. Uh, so uh, if you've been wide forever and you're seeing your earnings start to slip, consider trying to give a try, uh, giving a, a series a try in KU. Um, if you've been in KU for a while and, and it stopped earning, well, maybe try taking that series wide. Like you need to try new things in order to know what sort of adaptations are going to work. You don't have to stick with anything that you're experimenting with if it's not working. And you don't have to do your whole catalog whenever you try something. But uh, give something a try and assess it. And don't just try it and then set it and forget it way, which is something I've been guilty of in the past. Do your due diligence, figure out the way that this is properly done, and then give that a try and assess and see if it's worth incorporating that into your strategy. Um, if you are interested in giving a new genre a try, either because it interests you or because uh, it, you feel like it earns more than what you've been doing, ideally for both of those reasons, uh, it's useful to start by looking at the two genres that you have, you know, the genre you're starting with and the genre you're heading toward and seeing what those two genres have in common. Uh, because there's a lot of tropes that can be used across every genre. Uh, so if you find that you can flex the same literary muscles in a new thing, uh, that's super useful for adapting what you already can do into something new. So, you know, character archetypes, some of them work across every genre, realistically. If a snarky female lead and a bumbling O for the heart of gold have been in your sci-fi book and they've been really, you know, popular with fans, good news. They can be in your epic fantasy, too. And you're already starting off on stronger footing because you identified what you can reuse. And that's just a way to adapt your skills to the new thing. And an aspect of adaptation I found super useful is salvaging ideas that didn't work in one context uh, by adapting them to a new context. So my sci-fi stories usually have some sort of an AI. And I wanted to do a story where an AI in a ship went haywire and the whole ship became an extension of the AI's malfunctioning mindset. It's a fun idea and it's one that I might still do in sci-fi, but uh, I couldn't fit it in my current sci-fi project and I ended up brushing that idea off a couple of months later, swapping in spirits for AI and making it a part of my fantasy series instead. I made like a genius loci, loci they would call it, or loci, I don't know, it's, it's Latin. Um, it was one of the more popular uh, Patreon stories that I wrote, popular enough that it actually became a novella release. So if you can adapt something that you've already made into a new form in a way that makes sense and flows, then that's going to be you know a huge asset to you in the future. Definitely, work, uh, definitely agree with that. I almost um, read off Lindsay's quote, <laughs> what Lindsay said in the chat. Um, okay, so adapting so being being willing to switch genres this means recognizing when it's not your books that aren't doing well but everyone's books uh is the market that you have been writing in for a long time or you're, that you're trying to break into too crowded uh are you release, releasing at a pace that you can maintain and that readers want or need uh on the flip side being willing to switch genres when you recognize that the books you write aren't what readers in that genre want so like i don't know um I'm, I'm actually, I was just going to delve into something that's kind of tangential, tandem, whatever, not gonna, <laughs> um, so last stay in the genre you love or you to stay in, but being honest with yourself and realistic about expectations you have. Sometimes adapting can mean changing your attitude if you can't do anything else. And also adapting means like if your life is really crazy, just recognizing that your life is really crazy and, and changing your attitude and just, just being okay with it things not going the way you want them to at this point in your life. Uh, again, this is about long-term success. This is not about 
being successful right now, this year, this month, this is being successful in five years. So where, what do you need to do now to make sure that you can be successful in five years? That includes taking care of yourself and your sanity so that you're not burning out because you're not hitting the numbers you want to hit right now. Um, and then also paying attention to what others are saying and doing. So like Alex Newton book covers, other authors, titles, descriptions, and, and et cetera, and all of that check out book cover groups. The, the one that I mention all the time is the book cover design marketplace or whatever. I can't remember the real name of it. They change it. Um, but it's huge. And a lot of big authors, not huge authors, those ones, they have like their own little under the black table avenues that they go through, but authors who are midlist and doing really well, go there to see what, um, to buy book covers. And you can go there just to see what authors are selling, what cover designers are selling and, and pay attention to the ones that sell really quickly or the ones that have a lot of comments or a lot of likes on them. And then also keep in mind that that is for authors. It's not for readers. And so just because the authors are liking those things doesn't mean that those are the covers that are working, but it is, can be indicative. And then also pay attention to what big authors in your genre have been putting on their book covers and in their descriptions. For example, I didn't, I've been writing urban fantasy for, uh, since 2009. I did not realize that urban fantasy descriptions are in first person until last year when Lindsay was like, urban fantasy descriptions are in first person. And I'm like, this is my genre. How did I not know that? It's because I wasn't paying attention. So you need to be paying attention to how, uh, how other authors are doing it. The big authors, the ones that are selling really well in the genre you write. So check on those kinds of things regularly and then adapt as needed. Um, so keep up with people who analyze the market. Like I said, Alex Newton, he analyzes the market and then also be realistic in how quickly you can shift and adapt. Uh, it's, you know, if you are, if you don't have anything relying on you, if you don't have a whole lot of stuff going on, if your backlist isn't huge, you don't have a whole lot of moving parts. Um, you can adapt and shift fairly quickly, but if you do have a lot of moving parts in your life and you do have things going on, then that sort of adaption, adaptation, and shifting isn't as easy. Um, and then also keep enough cash on hand so that when something needs to be changed, you have the means to do it. And that's actually going to lead to Lindsay's point under good business decisions. Ready, set, go. Wow, that wasn't much of an intro to our last topic. <laughs> All right. Well, we've talked about this a little bit before. Um, but for business stuff, I try to make each aspect of the book business pay for itself. Like if I'm going to pay for paperbacks or audiobooks, which costs a lot more than doing paperbacks, it's because I expect them to earn out eventually. And I honestly didn't do all of my books in audiobooks early on because, uh, you know, I had some I gave to the publisher and those did pretty well because they were doing, they're the new releases, but I started doing some of my backlist stuff and I was like, uh, you know, not, these are not really, they'll earn out, but it's going to take years. So I wasn't in a hurry to really go gung-ho on audiobooks. It's really just been in this last year or two when I started, I actually started being non-exclusive to ACX and started doing some of my own new releases uh, that audiobooks have started doing well, started earning out right away. And, and so now I'm doing more of my stuff because it makes sense financially. Before it's like I could afford it because the ebook income was good, but I just, I try not to throw money at things that are losers basically or that are not proven yet. And I'm kind of like this with investing too. I'll put a little bit of money in speculative stuff, but generally I want to see that a business has proof of concept and also proves that it can scale. And we've talked about how that's pretty easy with digital products, but you know, if you're ever investing in something and they're not yet doing the thing that they need to do in order to be profitable, you know, people get super excited by this and that startup, but most businesses fail. And you know what? Most authors don't make it either. 
So before you commit a whole bunch of money to like really cool covers, or we've talked about doing the, not, not only the audiobook, but the full production audiobook with a different actor for each part that costs $10,000 and up to produce, you know, make sure your books are actually selling well and that you're able to pay for these things from the profits from your books. Same goes with advertising. I think a lot of people have this uh, mistaken uh, belief that if you just throw enough money at advertising, you can become a bestseller. You can become a six-figure author. You just need six figures to throw at advertising. But what you really find is like, I can only throw so much money at advertising before it's not worth it. And that's pretty early on. And that's the reason I only usually advertise book one in a series. I honestly only usually advertise, at least for Amazon advertising stuff that's in KU, because it's just easier if you can get a borrow or a sale. And I, I've just let the backlist stuff kind of the front list sell the backlist to some extent, or I just do the kind of inexpensive like e-reader news today, now and then free book C for uh, an older series. So I try not to, like I said, just be careful. And it just does take some looking at the books. I know authors were not always keen on the math stuff, but it's important to know which of the things you're spending money on are actually worth it. Um, you do need to, you know, if in the beginning, you may need to take on some debt to get that first book edited and cover art on it, but go as inexpensive as you can on the cover art. We've talked about pre-made. I think Andrea <laughs> talked about them, uh, the group just in this episode. And realize that advertising is actually something that works better later when you have other things to combine with it. Like you've got a mailing list built up, you've got a social media presence and people are actually there and will buy your books because they're following you on the social media sites. And then you find that advertising is something that can give you kind of that boost. Like maybe instead of just getting one day, all your readers go out and, and buy the book, buy also advertising, maybe you can stick in, in, you know, for a couple weeks in the top 100 for your genre rather than just trying to do it alone on advertising. So yeah, just don't feel like you have to go into huge debt to become a successful author. It's more building a fan base over time with each successive book and each successive series that you put out. Yeah, for sure. Avoiding debt is excellent if you can manage it and you should be able to manage it pretty easily because uh, you can release a book on a, on a shoestring budget if you need to. Uh, as has been endlessly covered, my first three books were released without uh, with homemade covers and with no editing. I don't recommend the no editing and homemade covers thing, but uh, they still earn money. This is 2010 where things were different. But uh, basically paying for the improvements in future books from the earnings from older books is, uh, you know, should be your goal. Uh, this, um, so nowadays there's a fairly high bar of assumed quality of much higher than there was in 2010. So you're going to want to put, you know, enough effort to make a book presentable. But don't max out credit cards. Uh, you know, I, I, I love my, uh, my whatever thousand dollar covers that I put on the first three books, but they're absolutely unnecessary. And I would not have done it if I had not earned that money from a particularly good promo. Uh, along the same lines, don't forget to reinvest in your writing. We talk about don't go into debt, but once you start making money, don't forget that if you can put some more money into certain areas of your writing, you're going to get more money in the future. Uh, so, if you've established how to sell, how to, how to get your book selling and start making more money, start planning on how to roll uh, that money into, you know, a little bit better promotion. If you, if you feel like you, you can do that successfully, uh, maybe improve the covers. Again, you, I went and recovered old books, but you don't necessarily have to. If they're selling well enough, you can just roll that money forward to new covers. 
for the next books. Scale things intelligently. You don't want to overreach and start spending more than you're making, especially because money in this business can be extremely inconsistent, especially early on. So you'll you you'll want to you know basically only spend money that you have. Don't spend money speculatively. But you'll get more out of the writing business if you put more into it. Uh, monitor what's returning on investment and and put more into the stuff that is returning on investment. Take money out of what isn't returning on investment. But remember that you are investing in your in your company here. And and this is a big one that I I I it's early on in my list of things to remind people of once they're looking to make this their career. Remember that you have to pay taxes if you're going from from a regular job uh, to self-employment and the, and you're going to, you're hoping to make oodles of money. Uh, just remember that you owe taxes on that money. No one is paying the taxes up front. And then, you know, you're handling, uh, refunds. You're probably not going to be getting any refunds once you become a professional author because, uh, you have to pay more taxes than, uh, than a, a traditionally employed person. Your bosses pay unemployment tax and stuff like that on your behalf, which you don't have bosses, so you'll be paying those things. So basically, when you look at your, your money, it starts, starts coming in. You're going to be chopping 30 to 50% of that off and setting it aside to handle the, uh, the, the fees that are coming up at the end of the year. That needs to be part of your budget. Uh, as you get on, you're going to start doing estimated taxes, and that'll you know, if you're good at estimating your taxes, that'll make it a lot more easy to to plan your year. But just, I, I know several people and I would have been one of them, if not for the decent day job I had at the time, that I would have ruined myself by having a really good year of writing and spending all of that money before the end of the year when I would have had to pay it to Uncle Sam. So remember taxes and plan for taxes. Very wise advice. <laughs> um so what I'm going to talk about, well, actually, I'll just talk about it. how about that? <laughs> I'm going to give it a little overview of what I'm going to talk about. Okay. So the people you work with, find a good attorney to help you create an S-Corp or whatever you're going to do. Um, use a good accountant who's experienced in book stuff. And if you decide to have an assistant, don't pick someone who just loves to read and who you need to train on everything. I mean, you can, if you want, but realize you're going to spend a ton of time training and it might not. And honestly, it probably won't end up paying off. I went through like six or seven assistants before I found Adriel. Um, Adriel was already trained to be an assistant and she was already very good at it. And I just, I regret all the time I wasted training people who ended up not being very, very good. They were all trustworthy. They just did not have the ability to be an assistant. I mean, there's a lot of little things that we do that we don't realize that we're doing that are very difficult to teach other people. So, um, and then remember this, if it doesn't save you 80% of time and money, it's not worth it. If it doesn't bring in 80% of results and you're only doing it because you think you should do it, it's not worth it. And then what I was going to say about that was don't make excuses. If your newsletter isn't performing, it's not because newsletters are a waste of time. It's because you haven't set it up or run it correctly because everybody knows newsletters are good and you're not going to be the exception to that. If you are the exception, it's because you're not running your newsletter list correctly or Maybe you just have the one genre and the one style of reader who just never perform, but I've never heard of that. So, um, for everything you discredit, be honest with yourself regarding why it did or didn't work and then make changes and move forward. Um, keep about, I don't know, like whatever I, I, I just put a thousand dollars here, but okay. So keep a thousand dollars or whatever in a savings account for future opportunities that might come along. Um, and it depends on how you run your business and what sorts of opportunities you've had in the past. Just keep money 
in your bank account. Don't pay yourself everything. Don't invest everything back into the bank account. Keep money available for something, opportunities that might come up. Like say you submit to BookBub and BookBub's like $700 for some of the genres. Keep money on hand for things like that. Um, and then also you want to have enough money in your main business account to cover all of your business expenses for at least one month, if not more. And, um, and then, you know, of course, investing for the future, saving money, all that stuff. But just, just, I'm trying to keep this basic right here. And then set aside time every year to write a passion project. Um, because, but because we're discussing uh, good businesses, business decisions, um, learn which market you were best for, learn what readers of that market expect and do your best to serve that. And I'm not saying like you have to write to market. I'm just saying that if you are writing in a genre you absolutely love, find out what readers expect. That's a good business decision and, um, and do your best to serve that. Uh, it can take years to figure all this out. Just like any other business don't expect or plan for things to shoot off immediately. Um, I think I've used the analogy. It's like college. You go to college for four years and then you go to medical school and then you do residencies and you do all that stuff to become a doctor and authors. We shouldn't expect to take less than that kind of time. I mean, it probably won't take that much time, but we shouldn't expect for it to take less than that for us to do well. And then, um, give yourself time to learn how to be an author, to learn how to run a business and to learn how to deliver what readers want. And then also give yourself time, patience, and grace, because this is a sprint. I mean, this isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. And then do what Lindsay said earlier, because she's got some really good advice there on, especially for the financial stuff. Anyway, so, um, and Lindsay, you had another comment you wanted to make. Oh, while you were talking there, I just thought, um, I don't know if we've even talked about it. I think we have once before, but you should definitely have a business credit card. You, you know, I pay mine off every month. I don't like to carry a balance on that stuff. But if you're paying a bunch of money for cover art, editing, advertising, if you have a business credit card with like good two or 3% cash back, it really adds up how much money you're getting back at the end of the year. Or not even that, they give it to you right away. Usually and, uh, you can shave that right off. So that's a good one. And yes, to taxes, I'll just reemphasize what Joe said. If you, you know, if you kind of gradually, uh, your income goes up, you're not really going to get surprised. But if all of a sudden you go from like making 50,000 a year to 500,000 a year, you are now, congratulations, you are now in the highest tax bracket. And if you live in a state like California or New York or hello, Oregon, uh, <laughs> Add another 10 plus 10. Gosh, it's more like 15 or 16% in California. You just, you're going to pay half the money in taxes. I mean, you can do some things. You can put some money in retirement income and do some stuff to help out a little bit. But it's funny. People think, oh, you, you're making like we had Elena on last year, seven figure authors. Why wouldn't you just make a million dollars, put that in the bank for two years straight and then retire? And I was like, well, first off, you probably love what you're doing. So why would you retire? But it actually, uh, you know, it's a great problem to have. I'm not going to complain about that. I don't mind paying my taxes, but uh, it can be a big surprise if you were spending that money and you didn't realize that, oh, hello, 50% you should be putting away if you are up in that six-figure area. So uh, I think that is all I have. If you guys, I'll let you wrap it up, Andrea, since you have been our host tonight. Um, yeah. And just for those who are listening and for those who are not listening, because it's not going to change for those who are not listening, we are doing a live Q and a on our YouTube channel on February 25th at 9 30 PM Eastern standard time. So, um, we will record early that day just so you guys don't have to get on it like midnight. And, um, if you want to do, uh, if you have any questions, I mean, we've got a whole ton, this really, really big list that we haven't been able to get to of questions on the Facebook group. But if you come, we're going to go for about half an hour. I think that's what we said. And then just answer questions of people who show up. So, um, new territory for us. We're going to be experimenting a little bit, making sure that we're doing 
and we got everything all of our decks in a row. But yeah, so that'll be February 25th, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And it's a live Q&A on our YouTube channel. And um, link to our YouTube channel is where? We'll put it in the Facebook group. <laughs> okay. And um, you can pre do an uh, premiere on YouTube. So, but yeah, we are six figure authors on YouTube. If you want to look for us there too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty much it. Um, let me make sure I've got everything. I think that's everything, right? We are good. All right. Awesome. Thank you everyone for listening. And thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. You can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six and come join our Facebook group and tell us that Joe has the best beard. <laughs> not Jim. Not Jim, not, not Jeff, Dave. not Dave. Who else have you been lately? I don't know, Joe. <laughs> there have been a lot of kind of close guesses. Like, I've had all of them and I'm like, I don't have a beard. You can't just say all of them have the best beard because anyway. All right. We'll talk to you all later. Bye. Bye-bye. So long, everybody. <laughs>